Okay, welcome to the Film Photography Podcast. Welcome. The, the internet radio show for people who love to shoot film. This is the January 15th episode of the show. It is January 15th, 2011, and welcome to the show. John Fideli is here. Hi, how are you? And Dwayne Polky. This is the big magazine episode. Big one. We have, I know, that's not a film magazine. You have a copy of Esquire. I love Esquire magazine for a feature that they have in it called What I've Learned. And it's famous people. They could be actors, politicians, anybody who's made a name for themselves in this thing called life. And they list a bunch of stuff they've learned. And there's tremendous wisdom there. And sometimes it gives me a chuckle. And I like it because you can read through it in about five minutes. Right. Like, you know, it isn't like you got to, oh, I got to read like 20, how long is 20 pages? Right. I love print magazines. I, I do too. I, I, I love, I collect them. I'm yeah. just a, a big fan. You too, John? I love uh, rock print magazines. Oh, yeah, like, like Uncut the Uncut and Mojo. Uh, British, British ones are the best. To read about like uh, classic rock and progressive rock. I subscribe to American Photo <laughs> Magazine. Good magazine. It's picture driven, which I like rather than, than gearhead driven. It also seems to be less cluttered with ads and... Thinner than it used to be. Yeah, it's a very beautiful publication. And they used to feature a lot more uh, images of models than they used to. There is a French version of that magazine. Oh, is that right? Yes. French photo. And it is nothing, nothing but pictures of reportage and models. I just think it's so refreshing that on their newsstand, they could have a serious photographic magazine and they can regard the human body with a sense of beauty and reverence. And here, you know, it has to be in plastic shrink wrap. There is a whole different vibe in Europe and in the UK than in the US regarding the whole nudity issue. It's really out of control. You'd think the US would be wider open to it and they're not. You could have gore, violence, like the most insane violence, it's fine for children, but if there's a nude person... Oh my God. Today is our tribute to print publications, and I have to do a shout-out to listener Ronald Musio. M-U-S-C-I-L. Yeah, Ronald Musio. And I want to thank Ron because he sent us... I don't have the box here, Dwayne, because it's too heavy to carry. The box is this tall. And it is like the entire 1975 through 1977 issues of Peterson's Photographic Magazine. One of my all-time favorites. Now, I'm not familiar with this magazine. I mean, I'm starting to look through them now. Uh, I'm assuming this magazine is no more. Do you have any idea? I, oh gosh, I have not seen it for a while. I do not know if it's still published. I don't think so. What is Peterson's? Peterson's Photographic was a magazine... uh, I think it probably peaked in circulation uh, before the year 2000, certainly. And it was a lot of it was uh, had pictorials. I don't know whether the editor shot them or other guest photographers would shoot them. And they had a lot of how-to, solid how-to articles in it. And they, uh, they published a great book about photography, which is one of the first how-to books I ever purchased, called Peterson's Big Book of Photography, as it was called. Oh, okay. So they were all about... Uh, you know, educating people as to all the different photographic techniques of the day in, in a beautifully beautifully packaged magazine. I mean, a lot of the stuff you look at it, and you know it was from the 70s, but there's a certain, there's a certain style and quality to it. Uh, the look of the models, the, the wardrobe, of course, the styling. That is just, I love it because it was when I was in high school, and I just look back at it with a tremendous amount of fondness. Right. The issue I have in front of me is March 1977. I, I, I perused through it. I found some interesting articles. First is uh, an expression I used last podcast, which unfortunately the expression is kind of lost to the ages. And the expression is 
does Macy's tell gimbals? Mm. And this was a photographer who talks about when the guy's name is Ben Halperin. And Ben talks about when he was in college, how he was in a dark room and there was a student dodging and burning a print and using some type of solarization on a print. And he asked that student, hey, how'd you do that? And the, the, the student, the fellow student, just turned to him and smugly said, Does Macy's tell Gimbal's? Of course, Macy's department store, their, their arch rival was Gimbal's department store, which was down the block. Which they finally defeated. Macy's fi- finally defeated, yes, indeed. Uh, but it brought up the co- whole idea, and I asked Dwayne offline about, I'm like, do photographers kind of share? Do you feel photographers share secrets? We were talking about how one of the, the, the reasons people who took workshops with Ansel Adams liked him so much was because he was so free with information. He would tell people, you know, why he shot something, why he shot it the way that he did, how he processed his film, how he made his prints. And in fact, he made a book called Examples, The Making of 40 Photographs, and there were 40 of his arguably most popular images, and he describes exactly start to finish how he made them. Now, a lot of photographers aren't that free with what they do, are they? I mean, you know, they could be a portrait photographer who's mastered a certain kind of lighting. It could be, and especially in the digital age, I mean, there are, there are so many more tools you have in Photoshop than you had in the wet dark room. So people assemble a bag of tricks. And I think they're really reluctant these days to reveal how they, do, how they do something, especially if it's their bread and butter. I mean, if you're a hobbyist or an amateur and, you, and you're simply just having fun or creating art for the sake of, of personal satisfaction, maybe you're more free with information. But I think if you're of a person who's deriving income from it and the last thing you want is someone to take your style and go ahead and run with it and then become your competitor. So I think it depends on your on your intent and what you're trying to accomplish, whether or not you're free with information. You know, I think it's looked at as a positive thing if you share information. My attitude has always been, I don't care if you know what I, how I did something because you're not going to do it the same way anyway. And even if you did, you're a copycat. And if that's all you can do with your photography is simply, you know, take a cookie-cutter approach to what someone else did, well, then you're not trying to be very original, and, and what do I care? Well, that's the great thing about photography. It's not all about just the process of mm-hmm. this or that. And being it's a major eye. And in being a musician, John, isn't, it? isn't it the same with music, too? I, I mean, don't people want to so, know, yeah. like, how did you get that sound? Yeah. And then they want to duplicate it for themselves because they don't have the imagination or creativity or skill mm-hmm. to kind of come up with something on their own. What about stand-up comics? Oh, my oh. God. It is, it is the biggest the biggest area of thievery, yeah. probably in show business. Absolutely. Stealing, stealing other people's material. I mean, you know. Are there major comics that will see an amateur with a great joke and just take uh, it? Uh, without mentioning names, yes. In fact, there are some that are so famous they were known that after they did it, if they felt bad enough, they would go up to the guy in a club and say, hey, man, here's 50 bucks. I took your joke. <laughs> I used it on Carson or the Tonight. You know, oh, so, man. you know, you can't use it anymore because I'm bigger than you are and I'm famous and no one knows who you are so I can get away with it. So here's like $1,500. That was a pretty common thing, supposedly. Wow. Cold. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, the question of, uh, you know, giving and receiving information, it, it's in any creative endeavor. Hmm. Writing, too. I mean, God, how many times do people plagiarize yeah. things, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So... Peterson's Photographic Magazine, March 77. I was amazed because uh, a few episodes ago, we were talking about how the fact that, you know, film doesn't get print anymore. It doesn't get ink in magazines. Very hard-pressed to find articles about film in magazines today. And here in the March 77 Peterson's, there is a whole page article on 110 photography by Calton C. LaHue. Calton C. LaHue. He did a lot of the photographs for the Peterson's book. I remember his name. Oh, okay. Very good. It's a blast from 20 years ago. That must have just tickled you pink when you saw this. He talks about the second generation of 110 film cameras 
you know, that Kodak and other brands are putting out the, the second generation of the telephoto lenses built in. Right. And he talks about how the next step is going to be, you know, how serious are companies taking 110 photography? And the next step will be the companies coming out with SLR cameras, which in this very magazine, there is a one-page Minolta Zoom. Look at that thing. That's oh, a, my that's gosh. A, 110 SLR camera. Man, oh man. And, I would love to get my hands on that sucker. And uh, like less than a year later, Pentax put out their Pentax Auto 110 with interchangeable lenses. It's funny how in the late, I mean, 72 is when 110 took off. Late in the 70s, companies started putting out, you know, some serious hardware for 110 photography. And it lasted through the 80s. And then in the early to mid 90s, it started petering out, and of course, in oh, yeah, <laughs> in '09, Kodak and Fuji stopped manufacturing 110 uh, film. But it's really kind of cool to. I mean, I so thoroughly enjoy going through these books, these magazines, because this is what I'm into, and this is what I'm now discovering. For example, there's a whole article here on instant negatives, the Polaroid 105PN. A little bit of a racy uh, picture on the cover of that magazine. Uh, <laughs> Yes, it there is. It looks like a sexy grandmother, though. Cibachrome, which is prints that are generated from uh, transparencies. Now called Ilfochrome. I don't even know if it's still made. Is that right? Yeah. So you would basically... Cibagaigi sold it to Ilford, and it went from Cibachrome to Ilfochrome. Cibagaigi, is that a person? Cibagaigi? <laughs> yes. Cibagaigi <laughs> <laughs> was the name of a company... Oh, and yeah, they, I used to see that company name and wonder C- what the heck Cibachrome. they did. Cibachrome, you saw it all and, the time. And Cibachrome was one of their products. So you'd be able to send your, your Kodachrome slides to the lab and they'd make Cibachromes for you. Yeah, there was a great lab. When I started shooting models back in the 80s, there was the lab I used in New York City was called uh, Clonachrome. Oh, my God. And I used to go in there and uh, all the... Go- Clone? And they had the Clonachrome, Clone-a-Chrome, and they did exclusively... Direct positive prints, meaning uh, pr- transparencies to positive images, meaning using Cibachrome. Wow. And they had the, the coolest girl. I, used to, I, used, I loved her. I had a crush on her on the desk. And she'd mm. say, all the guys here love it because you send in all the pictures of the models and ah. stuff. And I was like, oh, thank you. Give them a lot of business. And Slide Printer, I think, did it too. They were out in Colorado. I think they, uh, they probably used Cibachrome too. In a few minutes, we're going to talk about View Camera Magazine. Yes, we are. The uh, publisher of uh, View Camera sent us a bunch of a, a, a few sample issues to look at, and I, I've never heard of the magazine. I'm not a large format shooter. Uh, Dwayne Polkew is. So we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But since we're on the subject of print this episode, I did bring this for you guys to look at. This is the Urban Outfitters catalog for late 2010, and they have the Urban Sombrero. <laughs> They had a whole spread. Look at that. Oh, my goodness. Look at this. All Holgas? Yeah, I'll put this on our show notes page. Show notes? <laughs> so this is basically when you, when you see an entire page of a print catalog. Print catalog, yes. A pr- yeah, there's a, a lot of cameras a here. A print catalog devoted to Holga cameras. It's crazy. just... You know they're pretty serious. Yeah, it's got to be a pretty serious movement or at least an anticipation that people want it. Yeah. And uh, it's a whole page of Holgas. There must be 20 different models there, if not more. There's a Hello Kitty one. Oh. Is there uh, Look a Hulk Hogan one? Look at the back. A Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan one? one. On the back is a... It's a Fuji camera. It's a Fuji Instax. 
wide, which we're giving yeah. away on the yeah, FPP, by the way. Let's we'll see what the price is. Whoa. It's, you know, it's kind of <laughs> nice that a store, a retail store, <laughs> a brick-and-mortar store is actually supporting film photography. Well, I don't think, I, you know, I wouldn't give them credit like, oh, guys, you guys are the cutting edge. I mean, they're doing it because they see a dollar in it. I mean, you know, and, and it's sort of like, yeah, but uh, obviously there's a, oh, I'm not, I'm not chastising them, but the, obviously there's a movement behind well, it. Well, the funny thing is that the Urban Outfitters can, can decide that this is worth them promoting. Why can't a, a Target or Best Buy decide it, we're bringing this product in and we're going to promote the hell Ooh. out of it? Because I think Urban Outfitters has a different, upscale, a little client. upscale you know, citified group of people who think, oh, this is like yeah. a really cool thing yeah, to do. It's more, this is more hipster-oriented. Yeah, You're definitely. not going to find hipsters at Best Buys. You're going to find people that want to buy flat-screen TVs. This is more an eclectic crowd. I think Target yeah. and Best Buy are more like consumer, yeah. you know, across the board. Definitely. So I think that's why they're probably doing it. If you're tuning in for the first time to Film Photography Podcast, please, you could consult our archive and you could uh, check out some older shows. We're in our second year here, guys. Are you that yeah. cold, John? I'm cold. Do you need a sweater? I might. I can't put. I the might heat. have to put my coat on. I can't put the heater on because it's, a it's the end of January. It's the coldest time of year. Next time we tape, I'll put the heat on for like put 80. the heat on for like a week and then turn it off when I get here. Ah, okay. But anyways, you were film saying? photography podcast. We give away each month. We give away items. This is the last opportunity to last call to uh, win some of our items that we discussed last show, which were the APX black and white film. Two listeners will be picked, and each listener will get three rolls of APX Black and White, the APX 25, 25 100, 100, 400. And Dwayne will uh, come to their house and put it in the camera and set Dwayne it up. Dwayne says that this is like some awesome old film. Yeah. I love APX 25. It was one of the sharpest, finest grain, highest resolution black and white films ever ever made. And in Rodinal, it had a sense of sharpness and three-dimensionality that uh, I've never seen. You know, it wasn't. It never caught on like Tri-X Pan or T-Max films did or the right. Ilford Delta films, you know. That's Agfa. good. Oh, yeah. Agfa made great. Agfa multi-contrast classic was just an amazing, amazing uh, silver halide paper. The Ciroflex TLR camera mm. with black and white film and a Rodinal equivalent developer. Mm-hmm. If you want to give a go at, at developing yourself... Don't you, be scared. You will get the camera, the film, and the developer. You will need to do a little researching to figure out what else you need to get yourself started. Yes. Yes. And the last item is our Fuji 200 Instax wide camera. It's an instant camera that produces a Polaroid-like image. Donated it's- from a wonderful listener. Tony Kwong. Tony Kwong. Yes. Mr. EV. Yes. Yes. Tony Kwong, who is a fan of EV. You may say, well, gosh, how can I, how can I win these items? Mike. Uh, yes? How can a listener win these items? You need to send an email to filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. And I need a separate entry for each camera. That's right. And just your name, address, tell us a little bit about yourself and your photography, and we will be picking the winners on the next podcast. That's the February 1st podcast. Yes. But that's not all. (gasps) There's Uh, more? Yeah, I need to share something with you guys. Okay. 
Well, this is a... I won something on eBay. I won a, you know, the Pentax Auto 110. I was having a few issues with my camera, so I found one on eBay. I purchased it, and it just turns out that the seller was none other than Lance from Belgium. No kidding. Lance of Picture Crossing. Awesome. Hi, hi Lance. Yeah. He has picturecrossing.com. He is uh, a street artist. He photographs things on the street. Yeah, great and then, Great photographer. Yeah, uh, the, the Polaroids or the uh, Fujiroids that he shoots, he posts on the street. Like, he mm-hmm. just leaves it yep. with, a, with a number and a URL. Okay, so Lance sent the camera, the little Pentax cameras in here, but then he sent this... Wow. Nike. Look at this, how look generous. Look at all that film. Oh, my God. Look at all this stuff. That's generous, isn't hey, it? Hey, look at all this stuff. And then he did send this, uh, he thought uh, Dwayne might be interested in this. Oh, my goodness. This is uh, this is amazing. What is it? It is a book with a tipped-in image in the cover called Man Ray's Paris, Portraits 1921 through 1939 oh. by Timothy Baum. I hope I'm... Um, pronouncing that correctly and all i can say is as a lover of books a sincere thank you so much to you this is a very kind generous thing to do and i'm going to love looking at this oh great that's awesome so it is awesome thank you so much what did i get a a pair of chattering teeth (laughs) that you wind up (laughs) comic relief guy (laughs) nothing you got bullseye Uh, what are you gonna do yeah what are you gonna do now there's more stuff in here but i can't reveal it yet because we have to cycle through (gasps) this contest Oh. But oh. next month, we're going to have uh, some contest giveaways. From Lance. From Lance. And I will give some hints. Lance is a real, real Polaroid proponent. Mm. And, uh, just, you know, so I wonder what that's going to yeah, be. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Thank you, Lance. Thank you, Lance, again so yeah, much. thanks a lot, Lance. Hey, let me ask you, what are you going to do with all these magazines when you're done looking at them? Well, I was going to start archiving them yeah. here at the FPP studio. Yeah. The same thing goes for cameras. I mean, I collect so many cameras, I'm, try- I'm, 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 I'm developing ideas. Ah, funny. The idea of like a camera library where maybe it could be like a lending library. Think yeah. tank. Yeah, yeah, somebody's like, oh, I need a, uh, you know, Pentax camera. Can you, you know, send it along for a month? This is a good time to mention. Yes, Dwayne. When we went to the photo show in New York City, yes. I was comped a box of 8x10 sheet film. Oh. No kidding. And uh, as I have 4x5 gear, I do not have an 8x10 camera. And we, we wanted to shoot this Kodak Ektar and process it and just report on what it looked like. To give kind of a report as to, you know, this is kind of a new thing for Kodak to make Ektar 108 x 10 sheet. Right. I don't have access to a camera. If there's anybody in the New York metropolitan area, I think, who has an 8x10 camera and would like to be part of this, maybe they could stop by for a day and we could actually shoot some of this film rather than have it sit around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could shoot <laughs> Our portraits. Yeah. Give them <laughs> All right. I'm, not I'm, enough. Ready. I'm ready for my close-up. Yeah, there's not enough of those, enough pictures. We'll shoot of portraits of us. We'll turn days. it into a book. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get my hands in an 8x10 camera to shoot. I don't want to buy one because I, I really like the 4x5. I don't want to, it's, you know, expensive to get an 8x10. Right. So this is my plea for assistance. Uh, okay. I've um, collected over the last 12 months uh, a series of... Um, a bunch of film from different sources, from questionable sources, mm. film where you don't know the expiration date, the sellers don't know exactly uh, how they know, got it, how got it. <laughs> so Woke up one morning covered in, in, in film. In bed next to so it. I came up with, I label it FPP lo-fi high drag 35 millimeter film. And it says, if you can read the fine print, yeah. expired, abused, neglected for the daring photographer. What is this a picture of on the little strip? Johnny Link? Yeah, that's me, John Link. That's uh, Gordon. That's Gordon, our, uh, our graphics guy here at the studio. Oh, okay. Gordon, the graphics guy. Yeah. A lot of G's in that 
phrase. He's sort of saying Dally. like he's sort of like saying yo. You see, he's like yo, he's like, yo. I dare you to use this. So if it looks our, like he's passed out drunk laying on the floor is what it looks <laughs> like. So if <laughs> so if our passed out in a snowbank. If our FPP store ever opens, uh, I'm going to make this film available because uh, the fact is that some folks, <laughs> that's cute, some folks who shoot um, really want to shoot with a film. That they have no idea what it's going to happen. I, there were three rolls of film. I've inducted uh, three FPP listeners. I've sent them film out. It's the secret test. Right. And we're waiting to get our results back. We'll have them back for the next secret. show. Three of the rolls of film said... <laughs> Liz Steele with a date on it. Really? And, you know, the film, the tongue was still out. But, you know, some newer cameras, when they rewind, they the tongue the is still tongue out. out. The tongue is still out. So you oh, so have maybe film that's already exposed. wacky double exposure. So there may be some, you know, crazy double exposure of Liz. I don't know who Liz Steele is. For know. those of you who are into a little strange. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put together, like, little packages for, you know, fairly low price. You'll be able to buy, like, a, like I don't know, four or five at a shot. To run through your Lomo camera. I love these guys. Uh, yes. I really need everyone out there to support our calendar. Yes. And the cal- calendar Donate. does feature images that I shot throughout my uh, exploration of photography in 2009 and 2010. In the, uh, You're a good product photographer. Never, uh, the images that you paste on Facebook yes. of, uh, of the different cameras that you yes. own are very, very well done. Oh, I'm so happy to tell you guys on Camerapedia... They posted one of my images. Did they really? Yeah. Really? Look at that. The 126 uh, Kodak uh, 126 SLR camera. So thank you, Dwayne. But I- each month has, on the, f- on the 1st and the 15th, are little images of us all. Mm-hmm. On the first page, it, there's an image of all of us mm. you know, we took in the studio. It's a very nice calendar. At the tape time here, we don't have the calendar in front of us, so it's hard for you guys to... You know, feel it and touch it. But you can get your very own FPP calendar by just going to FPP, filmphotographypodcast.com. Yo. And just kind of... <laughs> and, uh, and dropping a dime on us. That's right. No, you don't want a dime dropped on you. No, but Well, it's an expression. So if you could just drop a dime on us, then I will send you out. We'll drop a dollar. Yeah. Do- a dollar? Uh, Idle chit-chat. I want to return. Start re- easing. We're doing magazines today. Oh, we are. We are. This is a little break. Oh, okay. It's a little break. Yeah, speaking of break, here's a little break. Hey, Mike Rosso here. Have you heard about the FPP 2011 calendar? Oh, yeah. That's right. It's full color, 8.5 by 11, and you could have your very own copy. How? By donating to the Film Photography Podcast. Help keep us running strong in 2011 and beyond. Go to filmphotographypodcast.com, click the Donate button, and see details of how to get your very own FPP calendar. All donations received go right back to the Film Photography Podcast to keep us running strong through 2011 and beyond. And beyond. 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 And beyond. Super positive. Oh, yeah. Before we get into magazines, you know, I can't fill my hours of time staring at my many rolls of Kodachrome film. (laughs) They've whittled away. I want to start easing back into Polaroid photography. (laughs) Easing back. After that long three-hour absence. (laughs) I want to share with you guys something I think you guys are really going to get a kick out of. This year... I'm going to go to the Polaroid, that impossible project headquarters in New York City, and say, (laughs) You've ruined my life! (laughs) Well, I, I will tell you this. You know, missing Kodachrome, I will tell you what I don't miss. What I don't miss is the is the processing bills. 
Oh, that's expensive oh, stuff. God, it's ten dollars a roll. Wow. Is it really? Yeah, it's ten dollars a roll. For cold, cold. Yeah. Oh, I gotta, I gotta throw you a couple of dollars then. This is the Polaroid talking camera. Uh oh. No. Yeah. Yes. Is it Sinbad's voice? The sleek, stylish Captiva camera. I don't know. We're gonna find out. Oh. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna load some film in. Ouch! That hurts. <laughs> What's Arnold Schwarzenegger's I'm, voice? I'm loading some PX. Focus! Focus! <laughs> PX 600 <laughs> Silver Shade First Flush. Here's for John. Yeah, another great saying. Educated jellyfish. <laughs> it says Come that? on! It says educated jellyfish. Of course, you're not going to be able to do that. Here is, <laughs> here is, here is the. The Polaroid talking camera. Let's hear. Guys, listen up. You guys ready? Yeah. Smile, tough guy. It's uh, James Gandolfini. <laughs> that sounded like uh, Tony Soprano. Oh, here we go. Smile, tough guy. Hey, smile, tough guy. I'm going to take a shot of John. Hey. I'll take a shot of Dwayne first. Hey, that, that voice could also be uh, the guy in the TV smile, show. Smile, tough guy. Yeah, smile, tough guy. Is this a new camera? No. Oh, here we go, Dwayne. Ready? Smile. Yeah, is that all it says? Smile, tough guy. See what, let's see what else the Polaroid talking camera says. Smile, tough guy. <laughs> oh, oh, shoot. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> sorry. Wait. That's worth the extra. That, that's $100. super entertaining, man. Like, wait yeah. a minute, how about this? How about this? Smile, tough guy. <laughs> that's even better. That was even better the first six times. Yeah. Uh, wait, what, wait, 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 uh, wait. That time he said, "Smile, Popeye." Here we go. Here we go. How's this? <laughs> that's supposed to be Edith Bunker. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> What is she saying? Sounds like Edith. She said, whoa, it's picture time. Oh, that really is. Somebody at Polaroid actually sat down in a board meeting and said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make our camera talk. And they went, let's green lit it. But you know how long they had to do to find that guy's voice to say smile, tough guy? Auditions and all that crap? No, no, no. You can record your own. own Oh, you can record your own. I did that. Oh. Yeah. That was you? That's you? Yeah, it's me. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's you? Let me you hear it again. Smile, tough guy. That does not sound like you. Here's, uh, here's the stock. <laughs> I think uh. some, somebody... It's, it's, How do you no. record? How do you record on that thing? You just press the button and you record. John <laughs> picked up the Polaroid talking camera. and he He's going to go record his own little sound bite. He walked into the bathroom. I'm looking for some information on the Polaroid talking camera. Thank you again to Lance for this book. I'm actually looking at it now. and it's uh... The Polaroid talking camera was released some time in the, I would believe, in the 1990s. It takes Polaroid 600 film, and if you sort of do a... a, a <laughs> John's <laughs> trying to record it, but all it's doing is screaming back at him. <laughs> <laughs> While he's doing that, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, freestyle. Uh, I got a letter here. It's from Larry Shapiro. It says, I have enjoyed the FPP since the beginning, and you have inspired me to get back to film. I have been developing film since 1960 and still have a darkroom at home. With the improvement of digital over the last several years, I strayed into digital but still love working in the darkroom. I was living in Los Angeles in the late 1960s while going to college. As a poor college student, as a poor... John, what do you got? I got nothing. I can't figure it out. Oh. It's that easy. No, well, here, yeah, I'm going to help you out. That's oh, you got to go so to this side. Off to the right. Smile, you 
Oh, I guess it's... What's that? I have no idea. Who's that other voice? I have no idea. Maybe there's a ghost in the bathroom. No, really? Who's I that? have no idea. It was probably something on underneath it that I didn't record long enough. Oh. Serious. Play, Play it again. Smile, you calendar shooting Nimrod. Won't you smile? I'm actually getting chill. Like, I'm getting goosebumps. I don't know what that John is. John went into the bathroom to record that track. <laughs> and, like, it's him saying it, and then some kid comes on. That's, yeah. And then a beep. You're scaring me. I'm scared. It's the ghost of Edwin Land. Smile, you calendar shooting Nimrod. Won't you smile? Who was that kid? Was he in there with you? <laughs> well, anyway, I thought I'd share the Polaroid talking camera with you guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> That's really just a remarkable piece of shit. <laughs> that was an incredible waste of time, Doc. I'm reading a letter from Larry Shapiro. He started developing in 1960... And he talks about when he, Developing was, what? when he was in college, he was a poor college student. Freestyle was his source of film. Wow. Going to the store was always an adventure. The place looked like a large warehouse with stuff everywhere. I could always count on finding something for my darkroom that I could just not do without. The staff that I recall were men who just put down their cigar long enough to yell at someone. Now, fast forward to spring... I went back to L.A. and found myself back at Freestyle. It's at the same location and now all cleaned up and even has a gallery to show work. And it's now staffed by what look like young art students. Times change. Mm. Larry says you can check out my website at LarryShapiroPhoto.com. It is mainly alternative process images made mostly on film. That's Larry, S-H-A-P-I-R-O, Photo.com. Thank you, Larry. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, times have changed, huh? Cigar chomping salesman well, replaced yeah. by art school. Yeah. What do you want, kid? Huh? What kind of film do you yeah. want? Huh? I'm still haunted by the Polaroid because... You taped over my recording. Yeah. So who's that kid? I have no mic. What? Well, I don't know. I thought maybe you channeled one of I'd your... just be careful in here all alone late at night if you have to like look for, you know, maybe that kid took the cameras. I actually got scared for a second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you tuned into last episode, you know that we have some cameras missing. I have your camera, Mike. And hopefully by the time... <laughs> <laughs> Come by... and get it, Miss Dark Corner. And hopefully by the time this episode uh, hits the iTunes, uh, we found our cameras. So this is our big... Big! Big! Magazine issue. Mm-hmm. And photography, I, of course, is the big yeah, of course. magazine. And I have been perusing popular photography magazine back from the 1970s. And did I, did I thank Ron Musio this episode for sending us all those Petersons? Yes, yes, you did. I did. That's a jolly photo of you, Mike. You think so? Yeah, it's very jolly. One eye is like half closed, like Chief, Insp- <laughs> Chief Commissioner <laughs> Dreyfus. Chief Inspector. <laughs> <laughs> Dwayne on Facebook. Oh my God. Yeah, I just got back from FPP Studio where we recorded an episode, and here's his picture. Yeah, <laughs> here's the worst picture I could possibly take of him. <laughs> here's a letter from Alan Baxter. Alan, uh, Dwayne, is the person who asked that I have yet to explore black and white. I want to try my hand at processing my own film. Based on your extensive experience, what film would you recommend? I have subscribed to the podcast and downloaded older shows. You responded that someone who's new should try Kodak Tri-X Pan and in in HC110 Developer Dilution B. You said, this is Dwayne talking, it provides good emulsion speed, a very nice tonal scale, grain is well defined for nice sharpness and not too pronounced as to look 
Granny. And this can bring us to our segment of the show to talk about processing at home. Processing at home. Just giving a little snippet of information for people who want to process black and white film at home. Let's talk for a minute about pre-soaking film. Do you guys know what pre-soaking film is? No. No. Now, a lot of people are told you put the film in the reel or you put the film in the drum and you put it in the... Go ahead. (laughs) If I had to guess, I would say you pre-soak the film in in water to get all like the film coated and all the bubbles out so there's no like uh, air bubbles that will keep the, f- the developer from hitting the film. That is one of the primary reasons why you do it. Some people are taught, you know, you just, once the film is in the drum, you just pour the developer in and you start agitating. But some people uh, like to pre-soak film for the very reason that you mentioned. And the reason why is, especially if you live in places like, like we do now, it's very dry here. Oh my God. And it's very, very cold out and you get a lot of static charges and things, Uh. a lot of air bells because of that static electricity can form on the surface of film. Mm -hmm. So if you actually pour in developer in film without pre-soaking it first, Mm -hmm. though it will leave little circular marks on the film. And it's important that the film be wet prior to pouring in the developer to help eliminate that problem. There are some people that feel that uh, it's important to wash off the anti-halation coating off of film. Sometimes if you put in the pre-soak in the film and you you pour it out, with Ilford films, it comes out black. Really? Sometimes with T-Max films, it comes out purple. And you said, oh my God, I washed the emulsion (laughs) off the film. What have I done? Is the pre-soak water? Or is it a solution? Uh, it, it can be many, many different things. I always like to use... Iced tea. <laughs> iced tea. I like to use vitamin water. No, I like to use water with a couple of drops of either Kodak Photoflow or Edwal LFN, which is low foam wetting agent. It just makes it a little bit more slippery. Mm. And uh, I just think it creates an even development when you add the developer from the very moment you pour it in. And also it removes those air bubbles so you don't get those little circular marks called air bells on your film. So I am a proponent of pre-soaking film for just a couple of minutes. And if when you pour the water out, you see a dye in there, don't worry. It's the anti-halation coating that was in the back of the the film. Uh, Anti-halation coating means uh, there's a, a, a dye put on the back of the film. So if you shoot into the light, sometimes in the film you get a little uh, flare coming right. off of it. Anti-halation means it doesn't halate, hmm. I guess. Is that the word? So that it, it kind of removes that. It kind of prevents really? it from doing that. Yeah. Did not know that. They put, a dye, they put a dye on the back of the film called That's an crazy. anti-halation coating. So when you're, you're, you see that, that the color in the rinse, it's removing mm. that. Don't worry about it. Do most folks who develop film at home pre-soak their film? I've never taken a poll and I've never seen a poll, but I think a lot of people believe in it. Especially so with sheet film. Sheet film uh, people who shoot sheet film, they're probably a little more into the process than are other people. And I, I think it's, uh, it's a common practice to pre-soak it. Is that your tip this month? That would be my tip this month. I'm going to talk about uh, D76 Developer next time, but it's a, it's a lot more. I want to talk about how to store and how to mix it from scratch, and it's a little more right. involved. But I just think it's, a, uh, it's something to, uh, to think about. And if anybody out there has any other thoughts on pre-soaking or whether or not you believe in it or don't believe in it and why, they should always drop us an email. Yes, filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo. Thank you, Dwayne. You're quite welcome. Thank you. I was going to talk very briefly about... Magazines. <laughs> Well, you know, before we get into uh, discussing magazines, I have a few articles I've actually uh, earmarked in a few magazines, and we have a beautiful View camera magazine. But I wanted to share something with you guys. You know, a lot, a lot of posts on Flickr.com and a lot of other sites about Flash, you know, using Flash. I didn't bring my strobe this time. 
Oh, he didn't? No. Dwayne well, had... We don't, we don't need to have him here to talk about him, but we oh, can... Oh, Dwayne had something called the... I, I, I Googled it as... Stro, uh, he's like, what's it? A Honeywell stroganoff. <laughs> and I came up with some delicious dishes, <laughs> but I had to call Dwayne back to ask him exactly what it is. Stroganoff. Stroganoff. I learned the basics of glamour photography from Peter Gowland's books, the, the late, great, large-format pinup and, and, and glamour photographer in California. And he used to use Honeywell Strobinars in his studio, which were, I guess, 60 or 70s eras, mm. like the big potato mash flashers, right. you know? But they were great because they plug into the wall, too. They didn't just have batteries. You could just plug them into the wall, and they would recycle faster. So you could use them like almost like professional flash units. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to buy me one of these. And I went on eBay, and I, I just found there were so many different models really? of Honeywell Strobinars out there. And, uh, and, I, and they're beautiful-looking units. And some of them are, you know, more powerful than others. Some of them are older. They take a while to recycle. But they're, they're great to have because if you just want to have one quick flash unit and not have to worry about batteries, mm. you just take them. You could tape it to a light stand, plug it in a wall, and you instantly have a flash unit that works. And these things have, I mean, what are they, 40 years old and they still work. Yeah. It's Amazing. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's when they built stuff to last, man. You know, you've heard of Honeywell Pentax? Yes. Oh, yeah. Same company, Honeywell. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, they have no longer connect. They, during the 70s, Honeywell also No, it's Asahi no, Pentax, I think. Yes. Honeywell also Canon for a while? Is that true? I don't know. But I have with me in front of me be the Holga 135BC camera. And this camera has a hot shoe. And one of the um, one of the many threads talk about shooting with a flash. And many photographers um, don't really like shooting with a flash. John Fidelli doesn't like shooting with a flash. Not really. Well, I kind of turned John on to the concept of, well, I'll do something a little different. And um, one of the things you could do is you can get a small adapter on uh, eBay or a photographer site and this is known as a hot shoe to PC adapter and what it is is it it, it clicks onto the hot shoe of your camera. This, of course, applies to film cameras. That has a PC socket on the side, so now you can take a handheld flash that has a PC cord, and you could you could attach it to the camera via the PC cord. So now you can use that flash. And now you have a flash that's off camera, and the particular flash I have in my hand is called a Star Blitz. Which uh, is twice the size of your camera. It's, a, it's called a Pro 5000 GTZ. Twin Star Blitz, and you could kind of just hold it off, you know, to the side of the camera. Unfortunately, I don't have any film in this camera. Will it fire twice? Did it recycle? No. I think that, that needs to recycle for it to fire <clears> again. <throat> With John's Holga, I guess your 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 flash was so juicy, yeah, that he put the camera on B bulb, depressed the shutter. It would fire the flash, right? And then when you would release the it would shutter, wait like a second or two and release it, it would flash again. We don't know if that second flash hit the film, though, do we? Don't know. Well, the shutter was still open. Well, pro- you know, maybe not. Maybe not. That's just a flash synchronization issue. It isn't a flash issue. Yeah. If your camera doesn't have a PC socket, if it just has a hot shoe, many times it could create a little bit of a conundrum. You're like, oh wow, I really like to use a off-camera flash. You could get this adapter. Cost ten buck. Or another option, of course, would be what John has been doing which is he he puts the camera on B bulb, holds down the shutter, keeps the shutter open, and then fires a flash, you know, off wherever he wants with his other hand. Mm-hmm. What are you eating there, Johnny? What are they called? Rice chips. Oh, when you're doing that type of experiment, you could actually mul- do multiple flashes. Yeah, that's what's great. You could, like, put a, like a wide-angle lens on your camera and, like, reposition the camera so that whatever yeah, you're... Yeah, move set- it around, do the same subject, but flash them a couple times 
within different parts of the frame. Right. And you're anxious, anxiously awaiting your film to return. Mm-hmm. John shot some uh, Kodachrome last year, which is uh, at Dwayne's Lab by now, coming back from Dwayne's Lab. Right. Hopefully it's not all scratched up. It got a little jammed when I rewound it. Oh. Remember? Yes, I do. I lost like six frames. So that is my uh, flash tip of the day. And if you have any questions, of course, you can always email me at filmphotographypodcast at gmail.com. Yo! Now there's something to be aware of if you, if you yes. use higher voltage Ooh. flash units with this. You, may be t- you say, oh, you know what? I bought an old Bowens Prolite. Can I take my Holga and use the uh, hot shoe to PC connector, hook up a PC cord from my Holga to this the flash unit? You might be, you might want to double check to be sure that the uh, that it doesn't uh, completely fry your camera. I, I've seen, Dwayne, I've seen you with flash units that I could swear had like some kind of big ballast attached, like almost like a power source. Yes, they're, they're, they're called, uh, well, there are, there are two types of professional level flash units. There are mono lights which have the circuitry built into the light itself and it just sits on a light stand like a big like a big box with a reflector right. and there are power packs I, i've used power packs in separate lights right and those things uh pull a lot of amps yes you know you got to be careful do you think uh, they could fry out the well, PC I've, adapter? Someone once told me that the uh, you know you know there's there's different volt. Uh, it is an amperage issue. It's, I believe it's a voltage issue. Right. That trips the uh, that the camera trips the uh, the circuitry of the flash to make right. it go off. And some of those flash units, it's it, there are too many volts for your camera to handle. And uh, I guess you can actually do damage to your camera if it's too excessive. Can so you have to do is you have to uh, research. There's a you know there's a phrase for it and it's escaping me but there it's like a flash I guess we call it flash synchronization voltage or the camera's flash sync voltage right. and there's a certain tolerance that it'll have and anything above that will will hurt the camera so you have to make sure that your camera's flash sync voltage <clears throat> and the uh, the voltage of your flash unit match because if they don't <laughs> and this would apply to I mean, this is a plastic Holga I was talking about. What about your standard metal Canon FT? You'd have to check that list. I would check it. I mean, it's better to be safe than sorry, right? Absolutely. I mean, if you fry the Holga, I mean, you're out a small investment. But if you fry your... I mean, when you get... There are certain d- digital SLRs that are manufactured without hot shoes. Right. And, and people want to hook up. They don't, you know, if, if there's a PC socket on that camera, it's assumed that you can plug it into a professional-level lighting unit. Right. But if there is just a hot shoe and there's no PC outlet, you can still oh. do the same thing with your little rig. Uh, yes, But, yes. It, I mean, is there a reason why they didn't put a PC socket on there? It's because it's not supposed to handle it. Oh, that could be. Hmm. What you can do, of course is if the professional level flash unit has an optical slave on it, you just set the power setting on your on-camera flash really, really low so that it doesn't register on the picture, but it, but it does trip the flash. You can right. always do that. You know. That's I mean, good this advice. is a way around it. But I'm just telling mm. people to be careful. That's Oh, absolutely. You don't want to fry out your camera. No, sir. No. So I received an email from uh, Steve Simmons. He's the publisher of a magazine called View Camera. And View Camera deals with large format photography. It's an area of photography that I personally have not gotten into yet. I look forward to getting into it, and I immediately thought of Dwayne. Because Dwayne, of course, shoots large format and landscapes and all sorts of fun stuff that I haven't shot yet. And Steve sent one, two, three, quite a few issues for us to kind of peruse and talk about. I first became aware of View Camera Magazine, which is also called the Journal of Large Format Photography. I think it was 1990. There was an issue uh, with David Munch in it. David uh, Munch, M-U-E-N-C-H, is a very successful color large format photographer uh, here in the United States. 
and he's done a number of books and a number of calendars. And I said, oh, look, here's an article on uh, one of my favorite photographers. And it was, uh, I believe, the 1990, an issue in 1990 from View Camera, because these guys have been around for 22 or some years. And uh, really, if you want to shoot with a View Camera, whether it's a flatbed or a monorail or any format from 4x5 up to banquet cameras. I mean, where do you go to get information? You know, you're not going to pick up uh, most magazines on the newsstand and see articles about view cameras or portfolios by people who shoot with these cameras. But this cam this magazine, View Camera, is devoted exclusively to the usage of these cameras. And it's every issue is really chock full of information. It isn't just... Uh, portfolios by, by photographers, which is certainly very nice, but it's also information on different types of lenses. They periodically run articles on different types of uh, film and that film availability for that given date. Um, there's different types of cameras, different formats of cameras, different, some, occasionally articles too that are technical, like how to use the shine flug rule, you know, what comprises uh, film sharpness using things like circle of confusion. And uh, there are also reviews of gear. A lot of, I like scanner reviews too, because a lot of people who shoot large, for, large format film have a hybrid workflow. They shoot with film but they print digitally and they want to scan their uh, their film to outprint um, on, a, on an inch of printer so, you know, they occasionally will review uh, different kinds of, of fabric scanners rather to use and, uh, and how to go about doing that. So it's, it's a lot of information about view cameras and it isn't just 4x5 because probably 4x5 is the most popular but it's also like I said 5x7, 8x10, 11x14 banquet formats which are called ultra large format. Steve Simmons also published a great book a truly uh, a wonderful book about the view camera called Using the View Camera. And a lot of people, uh, when they are interested in learning how to use a view camera, it really is, it's, it's, it's such a, a complicated thing because there are so many different formats, so many different kinds of lenses out there. You know, do I use Nikon, Nikors? Do I use Fuji? Do I use Schneider? Do I use Rodenstock? Do I use a co older Kodak Ektar? Do I use Ilex Paragons? Do I use Wallensack Raptors? You know, and there's all sorts of bizarre jargon and, and bizarre f-stop references that is really so alien to people that are used to using medium and, and smaller format cameras. And this book really goes into uh, a little bit of detail about how you can wade through that kind of minefield of information to kind of pick what's right for you. So Steve published that book. It's got to be like 15 years old already. But it's called Using the View Camera. And I have a copy of it. And it's, uh, it's great. It's, you know, it, it's, it isn't a textbook like Leslie Strobel's book. It's more written for people who are interested in just having a hands-on approach to understanding how to use this format. And also the magazine is published, I believe, bi-monthly. And the latest one with Paul Caponegro's portfolio is amazing. Crazy. Paul Kapanegger's pictures are simply beautiful, and it's probably the best print quality I've ever seen in a view camera in terms of uh, using multicolored inks to get a sense of depth with the reproductions. So uh, Steve always has stressed, I've, I've read some of his posts on forums, that he really prefers you uh, to subscribe to it, because it's kind of difficult to find. I, I've, uh, I'm not a subscriber. I've always bought it at Barnes & Noble because it's always been right there for me to go over and, uh, and, and pick up a copy. But uh, So, I mean, and there's anything pertaining to large format photography. There's a, there's a view camera conference. I believe he's involved with. And like I said, there's uh, also in the back of it, there are different advertisements from different companies that advertise uh, large firm and equipment. So if you're interested in buying stuff, like there's Badger Graphic Sales, and there's the View Camera Store, and uh, there's Camera Essentials, and uh, Bromwell Marketing, and Photo Habitat in New York City. And uh, which is nice because a lot of people are interested in getting into the view cameras. And they have no idea where to go. Yeah. You know, where do I get a camera phone? Do I go to eBay? Well, you don't have to buy everything used. You know, view cameras are still made. 
View cameras are still manufactured. They look like an older antique kind of camera, but they're still very much made. And lenses are still being manufactured. I know Schneider still makes them. Rodenstock still does. I believe Nikkor have been discontinued. Fujinon, I believe, are still made, but they're not readily available in the U.S. They kind of have kind of a limited distribution. Thank you, Steve, for sending us these free copies. Yeah, it's a very high-end publication. We hope we turn a bunch of people on to your magazine and a bunch of people onto your book who are interested in, in checking out what it's like to use a view camera because it's a very, very special way of going about photographing. It's kind of the opposite of using a Polaroid camera or it's mm. the opposite of using a digital camera it's because very you, deliberate. your results are not there immediately. You have to kind of go through the, the workflow of setting up the camera and looking on the ground glass and focusing. It's a very kind of zen approach to it. I really love it. I've been using a view camera since 1989. I'm just going to enter into my 22nd year of using a 4x5, and I'm addicted to it to the rest of my life. And, uh, and I just appreciate the fact that a magazine is produced on a regular schedule to see what's out there and what's available. So it's cool. It's a cool thing. Check it out. A lot of our listeners, when we started talking about medium format and large format, they became rabid about... They became giddy. Yeah, yeah. Like I a mean, young schoolgirl. Our listeners are... <laughs> Really, really interested in exploring medium and especially large formats. So I think that uh, FPP listeners would are going to uh, re- you know really want to check out ViewCamera.com and see what's happening. And I'm there. psyched that the uh, the print quality has even gotten better. I mean, yeah. this, this, this Paul Caponegro issue is this simply the best I've seen. Uh, Paul Caponegro's prints at a gallery in New York City. So I'm in a position to kind of compare the reproductions versus the actual fine silver gelatin print, and they're on par, man. They're they're really uh, they're really special to look at. So check it out. Out. I want to thank everyone for tuning in this episode. It's been an awesome, I've had an awesome time, and I had a few good laughs. <laughs> Mostly at John's expense. Yeah, Oh, uh, really glad to be here. Before we go, uh, our good friend Eric, our friend Eric LeYoung, that <laughs> L may be silent. This makes it sound we're t- <laughs> such total goobers. In order to... Total uh, idiots. <laughs> Letter on FPP. You need to phonetically spell. Yeah, no doubt. Last la- two shows ago, a uh, gentleman last name Lion. He phonetically spelled it's L Y O N. He's like pr- <laughs> pronounced Lion as an L I O N. That's the one guy who shouldn't have done it. Did yeah. it. Everybody else, you need to do it. Eric especially. says, uh, "I'm friends with Eric on the Flickr." If your last uh, name isn't Smith, you need to put it. By, by the way, we're on Flickr. If you want to go to Flickr.com into Film Photography Podcast Group Facebook page too. Uh, there is a Facebook page. I highly recommend the Facebook page because it's more of a news, lots of news and posts. Yeah, lots of news flashes. Uh, it's a great place to be. Go to Facebook.com, you join, and then search. What I'm going to do, too, is I'm going to take uh, one of this, the view camera magazines that Steve gave us, and I'm going to scan. I don't think he would mind if I scan the cover of it. And just put a picture of it on the Facebook page. Yeah. So people can see what it looks like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Facebook.com, search Film Photography Podcast. You'll find our page. You could uh, join that. It's a lot of fun. And uh, don't forget about our about our 2011 calendar so if you're interested in helping su- to support the podcast we have a, a little goodie for for those of you out there who need a calendar to hang on your wall yes and it's the film photography podcast calendar calendar for yes. 2011 yeah well all you need to do is go to the uh, website and hit the donate button and donate because 
Is it through PayPal? Why do they do it? Because yes, it is through PayPal. Yeah, you could do PayPal, or you could do Pay John, or Pay Mike, whatever you want. <laughs> There's no set price. No set price. It's pay what you want. Yeah, it's like a Radiohead style. Yes, so don't be stingy, because it ain't cheap. And it all goes back to, you know, the amazing yeah. camera giveaways. And Just ask the people who've gotten stuff from the show. Yes. They know. Don't you want to feel the joy of one day getting a camera in your hands that you never thought you'd have? Yeah. Or getting some developing, or getting some free film? Yeah, absolutely. So the calendar is just one small step towards that. Well, thank you for the plug. John. You're welcome. Thank you, Dwayne. You're welcome, Mike. So Eric says, uh, before we go, he recommends a, a magazine. This is the big magazine issue. Uh, Photo Technique magazine. Have you heard of oh, that? Oh, very good magazine. Yeah. What do you know about it, Dwayne? Photo Techniques magazine published by Preston Publications out of Niles, Illinois. Look at you. You are you oh are a God. walking encyclopedia. It's Holy amazing. Smokes, I tell you. You know it. I know it. I used to know, uh, who did I know who was an editor there? Well, I've been doing this for, for 25 years. Yeah. Anyway, um, they are exactly what they say. They are photo techniques. My favorite part of photo techniques is a column written by a gentleman called named David Vestal. And I believe David Vestal was a commercial photographer, fine art photographer, educator for a long, long time. And how he's managed to come up with a column every single month, yeah. you know, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And years. An entire column, a page column is beyond me. But he does it. And uh, it's really interesting reading. They have uh, really, really cool portfolios that they publish and, and how the people achieved them so it's really like it's, it is what it says it's photo techniques i don't see it everywhere i see it occasionally in a, in a barnes and noble and mm. borders books but some of them don't have it at all you kind of have to look for it do you remember a magazine that started in the 80s called the photo the photo was it american or europe american no didn't last very long i think <laughs> it made like 10 issues oh really i, yeah. I have them somewhere stockpiled oh. in my uh the photo look for him, yeah. That's a, that's did you ever see Camera in Darkroom? Yes. I was in that one really? one issue, yeah. They did a, they did an article on me. Good for you. I should bring it in. Great. Why don't you do mm. that then? John, uh, before we go really quick, yeah. anything going on Pink Delicate? Why do you have any Pink Delicate news? Oh, uh, we're really close to getting the EP together. Okay. We uh, got together the other night and uh, fashioned an, a running order for some stuff, so now we got to go in and do some mixing and tweaking and equalization and should be up um Maybe in March. Is there a sample cut you can get to us? Yeah, sure. Oh, do you know what the sample cut is? Uh, I don't think we have a proper title for it yet. Okay. I think wow. It's, oh, I think it's called Newark. It's oh. based on Kevin's uh, experiences of living in an apartment in Newark. Newark a, was on the a bunch of his EP from uh, last Remember the last summer's podcast with Pink Delicates? Oh, yeah? Yeah, Newark oh. was on there. Is it a different mix? Probably got the songs all wrong. <laughs> The songs were the all wrong. The songs and the titles were way off. The Kevin, whole EP Kevin is themed around Newark? No, 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 no. Just this one song. If it's not Newark, it'll be uh, How About Longs for London. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I tend to like the mellower. Well, this one has a nice, long, mellow intro, and then it goes into a rock thing. Longs for London. Yeah, about a girl who wishes she was back in London. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's very nice. Yeah. It's good darkroom music, I think. Remember to get your contest entries in to win some of the good stuff that we talked about earlier earlier yeah we're not giving anything away now no next uh, next shoe Jeez. next month we're gonna have some great giveaways and i'm really looking forward to it yeah. so until next time this has been a great show yes we're gonna play uh, a uh, sample uh preview cut from uh pink delicates i've heard these tales before when She 
shows her happy head through it all a blue thread Super positive.